Welcome, everybody. This is Foreign Devs. My name is Victor. And I'm Yanni. And together, we're starting this podcast because we've been together, working together for a long time. And now it's time for us to share some of this knowledge with everybody. So it's a, it's a little bit of a pressure here to come up with the first topic, but, you know, a little bit about who we are. So we are obviously in the boating industry and Yanni's got a pretty good story about the boating industry and what people say when we tell them that we are developers in the boating industry. Yeah, they get they get a little confused. Uh, so other developers outside the boating industry get confused, but the even more confused ones are individuals in the boating industry going, you guys are developing in the boating industry? What are you, what are you developing? So it's always, <laughs> it be, always a fun. Yeah, it must be a construction business for sure. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's exactly <laughs> what it is. So Yanni and I worked together for, for many years, and now we're in separate states, uh, but we still collaborate in side projects, and we do mostly Laravel and web development work, and we're also marketers. So Yanni, where are you from? Because we're obviously foreign devs, so we yeah, are not foreign American. Devs. So well, we're both American, but I'm uh, I'm Finnish, so like uh, Linux, MySQL, Nokia. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm from Finland, and I was born in Cuba, so very different, very different world. Yeah, two uh, two foreign guys here uh, now working on web development and. Uh, little history so victor and i uh, like victor said we've been working together for many years and i think it's just about a decade now um yeah yeah started out both of us on a marketing team and and uh, victor actually has a cs degree i don't i'm a self-taught developer but um you know we just kept finding this great um what would you call it victor uh collaboration Uh, or a great collaboration uh, just a smooth way of working together. We could bounce ideas off pretty easily. And and uh, when I'd need uh, some guidance on some PHP projects, you know, Victor had the knowledge there and we just kept pushing ourselves forward and uh, pushing each other forward at that. And uh, yeah, a few years ago, we got into Laravel and we've been hooked on ever since and challenging ourselves with that. And nowadays you're doing coder's tape and teaching others everything yep. you know and making it very fun for them to learn. You know, that's that's one of those things, you know, you briefly touched up on CS degree or going to college in general as a as a developer. You know, I have one, but, you know, I most of the time I feel like I'm not really using it. And a lot of times I feel like it's almost like a hindrance because I've got all this technical background on how things are supposed to be right. And then, you know, you'll come up with these out of the box solutions that I'm I would have never thought of just because I've, I'm kind of like stuck in this technical box that, uh, you know, I got put in because I went to school. So I think it's a very interesting approach, you know, sometimes that you take on, on certain projects. Yeah, we've, we've talked about it before, you know, I just, um, it's kind of a mixed bag for me. I do wish I had the well-rounded knowledge of other languages and other techniques. Um, like many of the skills I have, it's just been something I've picked up along the way and uh, really started tinkering with software in the mid nineties, uh, visual basic and such. And uh, somehow ended up when things shifted for me personally into web design and so forth, picked up a little bit of web development and really started getting attracted to PHP. I just found it easy to, to hack together projects, uh, easy to modify other people's work and easy to continue off of. 
and uh, it just stuck around for many years. And I do regret that I didn't build off it, you know, sooner. Um, but really happy with with everything. Uh, happy with my own skills, and really happy with how PHP has evolved. Yeah, that's uh, been just, incredible. It's been oof, huge difference I mean, in PHP in, over the last couple seven, of years. Yeah, seven is has been. I think such an underappreciated change. And, uh, you know, I, I go back to 2007. I had, uh, I hadn't even moved back to the U S yet, but I was, was, uh, was here for a few months and was tackling some projects. And I remember talking to a friend who was a PHP developer I looked up to. And, uh, I asked, you know, right now, if there's one thing I should learn, one language I should learn, what is it? And he said, Ruby on Rails. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I never did. I looked up some, you know, examples, some tutorials, you know, the video tutorials weren't as big then. I was I on that never, train for about a month. Yeah, I never got into it, <laughs> never got into it. But PHP somehow always stuck around. And now, you know, it's it's amazing how far things have come. And look at how, how much Laravel has pushed that. And uh, I think, you know, a lot of people say it. Uh, Laravel's changed their lives, and I think for us, it's very true. I couldn't imagine developing yeah. uh, without Laravel nowadays. You know what's the craziest thing about PHP is that you could almost thank Facebook for keeping PHP alive in all of those stagnant years that that PHP just didn't go anywhere. You know, yep. the whole PHP six. Um, I do find it very fitting that there was no such thing as PHP 6 because the difference between 5 and 7 is so great that there should have almost been a 6 in between. But they, they, they never came out, never – of course, they worked on it, but they literally, after working on it for years and years and years on end, they just trashed the whole PHP 6 and went to 7 at that point and decided yep. that just to call it 7. But, you know, in, the, in that in those years, and it was quite a bit number of years, you know, Facebook kind of kept everything going with their own side projects. And and had it not been for that, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I hopped on the uh, the Ruby on Rails train for, for about a month. I, um, I was actually that. working at with Yanni at the time. And I just thought it was, it, I mean, it's such a beautiful language to see in code. If you've never seen, you know, Ruby on Rails code, it is so beautiful because there is absolutely no nonsense with it. You know, there are no semicolons at the end of lines. It's just absolutely gorgeous. And the thing that stuck with me with Ruby on Rails was the the relationships in databases. I remember that was such a mind-blowing experience for me. I had never experienced, I mean, I knew what database relationships were at the MySQL level, but I had never experienced it the way that Ruby on Rails did it. And when I learned about all these belongs to relationships and has many relationships in Ruby and Rails, I was blown away. And I just couldn't wait to use it in my projects because I, I could value it from having to do this in the manual way. And then years went by, um, obviously that fizzled off and years went by and, and here comes Laravel. And I remember the first thing, the first thing I felt when I looked at Laravel was how, how Ruby on Rails had made me feel years before in terms of just discovering something that was so amazing that I just had to use it. And I was so excited to use it. And I, you know, I think that's, that's the truth for a lot of people that end up in, in Laravel. I mean, I see it in coders tape. I see people just getting so into it um, and sticking with it, you know, and I think that's such an important thing with anything you do. Obviously, if you, if you stick with it long enough, you'll become an expert in that. 
Yeah, and I think uh, at the time you were working on some uh, CI projects, and uh, I think you were done with them after that. You know, it was just like whole change in. Yeah, I remember uh, I, I did Code Igniter too. I forgot I forgot about Code Igniter. Yeah, 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 I did Code Igniter, and and Yanni asked me, "Do you see yourself moving to anything else but Code Igniter?" And at the time, I said, "No, absolutely not. I mean, Code Igniter is literally the best thing you could you could look at." And uh, <laughs> boy, was I proven wrong. Laravel came along and changed all that. Yeah, it's really, really amazing uh, how much easier it's made it work and development for us and development meaning you know building something great from scratch yeah but uh so why don't you tell us what, what you've been working on i know you've been working on a, on a big refactor project and those are always fun so give us a little bit of insight on that yeah so actually um this one's been a bit challenging but actually a lot of fun um and it's one of those where a few months ago, actually, when I was at the AWS Summit in Atlanta, I was thinking about this problem and really trying to predict where I'd be and what, what the project would need. And I had a few possible options I I uh, blueprinted, but um, right now, and as the weeks and months have gone by, I've been feeling, you know what, maybe door number two would have been a better option. And uh, I'm sure you've had that same kind of kind of feeling about different different challenges. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's one of those things where you, you just don't know where you're going to be in the future. So you kind of take the best guess that you can today with some code and design um, choices. And, you know, sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was on this, what I regret was procrastinating to refactor it earlier on that I kept just band-aiding it. But um, working with multiple sources of data, from different providers and it's all all the same data that just needs to line up and fortunately there's not much in terms of unique IDs to really do that. Um, you know, it's a little bit deeper than that, but just challenging. But uh, as far as this refactor, you know, using migrations to not only uh, restructure some of the tables and, and uh, good chunks of the database, but using refactors to actually access the file system and and uh, move some files around, rename some files. I've been using a, a directory structure that contains the uh, deprecated uh, models as well as the new incoming refactored models. So it's it's kind of a one-step yeah, deployment. Yeah, that's one of those that's one of those out of the box solutions that I wouldn't have thought to to do, you know, because, you know, in my head, migrations are always just for database migrations. And, but it, it makes total sense. I mean, if you've got some, some scripts that are one-time use, the only real part of Laravel designed to be as a one-time use code are migrations. I mean, as a matter of fact, you don't even have to write the, the, the down methods on them anymore. That's optional. Um, I think as of P, uh, Laravel 5.7. So, you know, it's, it, I would have never thought to to do some changes like that to the code if if you know as a migration. Yeah, I, I don't. I think actually the idea was uh, sparked by something you said a while back ago that migrations don't just have to be for altering databases. But I've taken that you know taken that forward and pretty happy with how it's coming out. Um, hope to wrap it up here in the next few days. You know, I think this is one of those cases that you have seen 
sort of the value of of testing your application. So, you know, for those for those viewers that are or for those listeners that are not, you know, testing your applications currently, or maybe you're just not at that level yet, it'll change your life once you get there. Um, you know, and I think I saw the light a little bit before Yanni, and then I told him you've got to you've got to try this this testing thing. It's it's just it's crazy. And yeah. uh, it just is just the confidence it gives you. That's really what you're after. You nailed it right there. And uh, I've been with this. It's funny you mentioned testing because I've been, you know, at first it was, you know, over half the tests failed right away. But it's been, you know, hey, you know, 10 fail, 9 fail, you know, 8 fail, just counting down as you're fixing things and, and working through it. It's nice to see that progress. So I'm real happy. Yeah, it gives you a path. I mean, it's 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 a very defined path back to green. You know, and, and and you've got a goal, you've got an end goal, you know, you've got you've got to make these 10 failed tests be back to green. And so you kind of look at a couple of them and and choose the one that you feel would be easiest to get to green and you you take that, okay, now we're down to 9, and then you find the next easiest one until you get to one where you know, it's the real deal. This is the one that's going to really make me change a bunch of files. And you get through that hurdle and, you know, it's it's just, you know what's next because you go back, you rerun your tests and you know what's next. A lot of times when I was refactoring without tests to back me up, it's just, you just don't, did I, did I do this one thing? And you got to go back and say, did I, did I refactor this one part or did I change this one table name? And there's no real record of if you did the right thing or not, you know, and obviously your test suite is or your, 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 your confidence in your test suite is only as good as your test suite itself, but so much better when you have one. Oh, definitely. And speaking of testing, load, I think it's load.run, L-O-D-E dot run, the site, the, um, the app they've put together for Mac OS to run PHP unit tests. Um, it's my favorite new app. I'm loving it. Um, graphical user interface for PHP unit and uh, just makes filtering and selecting specific tests uh, real easy rather than thinking, hey, you know, what's the exact path for that or what do I want to filter here? Just uh, I think it does, Java, it does JavaScript testing as well, doesn't it? Uh, it does. I haven't dived into everything it does, but I've been using it for PHP unit and really liking it. Yeah, that was one of those things. So JavaScript testing, I mean, it's another sort of foreign concept of, of testing. You just don't think that you can test things like view components and stuff like that. And you can't. You, it's 100% doable. You could do test-driven development in JavaScript as well. And that, again, that's just a whole nother level of the confidence. And I, I recently got into JavaScript uh, testing and I was so frustrated. You can ask Yanni. I mean, I, I think I pretty much quit about two or three times and actually trying to write tests for existing uh, code because I originally did not write it in TDD form. And basically when I finally cracked it and, you know, now I've got a suite for my front end and I've got a suite, you know, for my back end. And it's just so such a such a good feeling it really is oh yeah yeah and uh going off on a different tangent here but still related to testing so so uh i woke up tuesday morning and for years i've said don't start the morning reading emails and there's some days where i don't want emails at all and i know you know you've been practicing just killing yeah. the email application for the day yeah, yeah. but but uh, the email I got Tuesday morning was, it was from developers overseas, and it was a company that a client has outsourced to uh, develop their website. 
and it's been three years in the making. Um, and put that into perspective, the previous website Victor and I built in under six months uh, still runs to this day, won uh, quite a lot of awards and recognition for all the new standards it introduced in the industry. But um, email from these developers said, hey, the new website's ready to launch. Let's go live. And I just, I think I really put palm my hand on my face because this is probably the 17th time I've gotten Oof. an email like that in the past year from them. 17th. And I pull up the development website and right off the bat, broken links, broken images, um, JavaScript errors all over. Uh, and the code base is just a nightmare. You have index methods that are over 200 lines, 200 lines long, uh, logging everywhere. Um, they're using some execution calls um, for simple things that have no business being there. It is just a complete mess. And um, I've tried to guide them on how to take care of things a little bit better and how important it is for this to be a maintainable project. But ultimately, I uh, took it to the stakeholders and said, we have to scrap this and abort. really build something. Yeah, abort. 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 It's time to eject. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, I hate to say that, but it's just time to, time to cut our losses. And um, my recommendation was tackle it in-house, even though there's a, uh, a big pipeline of other work. Uh at this point, that's really the only way to take care of it, right? I've but, seen a, uh, yeah, I mean, go going, sort of going with that tangent. I mean, I've, 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 I work for a company as well, you know, same as Yanni, but, you know, the, the ultimate goal has always kind of been to get my own thing going and, you know, develop for, for clients and things like that. But going with the same idea, Yanni said, I mean, the, the original website for this other company, um, we developed in-house, you know, in about six months project and it's still running today. And this was, you know, years ago, this is the one that they're trying to replace today. So, I mean, it's, it's really st still been the website for the business. And we understood the business at such a level because we worked there day to day. We saw the struggles, we saw what customers wanted, you know, and it, there was no need for A-B testing. I mean, we were there, <laughs> you know? So when you when you kind of tear off on your own and try to start your own thing and, and seek some clients, my struggle has always been to think of, a, of ways to still deliver the quality of product that I could deliver without being a full-time employee and being there eight hours a day, five days a week, you know? And, I, and that's such a, such a difficult thing. Yeah, actually, uh, one of your quotes, and I'll never get it right, but it's something like, uh, you can only achieve perfection through iteration, or yeah, what do you say? It, yeah, it's through iteration that, no, it's only through iteration that you can attain perfection. Okay, perfect. So with that said, and I've been meaning to write an article for, for Null Thoughts on, on this subject, but I don't believe outsourcing something like that you can expect the same type of result you can as if you were building it in-house with your own team and uh johnny ive of apple from now formerly of apple said uh and i'm going to quote this a consultant is forever hustling for new work 
and can never have the same impact on a company's design direction as an in-house practitioner. And I've taken on projects with uh, companies before, especially website projects, where I've thought this is going to be my greatest work. And, you know, you get through mock-ups and you get through uh, planning stages and you go, this is really going to make a dent in the industry. And then you dive into it and the supporting systems, the other software they're using, the APIs you have to work with are so far behind that you actually end up spending 80% of the project, you know, 80% of your budget in fixing those. And then the project you were most proud of, the front end, the uh, consumer facing portion of it suffers. You know, you have to compromise on the time you're able to spend on it. And it's a really tough place to be as a developer, really tough uh, place to be as a consultant or a freelancer. Um, it's, a t- it's a tough place to work. I mean, it's tough to stay yeah. excited about a project when, you know, you're either not getting the support that you want or it's not going the way that you had sort of envisioned in your head. I mean, when you start a project, obviously, you've, you've got this idea of how it's going to go. And most of the time it doesn't go that way. But it's even harder when it's really, really not going um your way. But, you know, I don't know what some of the, um, I know some of the bigger companies that take on client work, they almost dedicate some of their staff, you know, small team of two or three to one client. And all they do is work for that one client. So that's almost like they're an extension of that, that client. Um, but, you know, as a starting out, mostly solo developers, it's, that's difficult because I mean, under one, under one single client, it's going to be hard to maintain, you know, a business. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, it's definitely challenging. Uh, you know, I definitely haven't nailed down those type of relationships. So um, the clients and companies I work with, usually they're pretty, pretty unique relationships, not just something I could, could uh, kind of spread out and grow or scale the way uh, uh, that would be ideal um, in terms of revenue. Yeah, you know, you 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 brought up Apple, and you know, I've got I've got a beef to pick with Apple on this one because, so, I've got it's a bit of a rant because I've got this fantastic Apple mouse, and um, you know, I could just picture sort of the room, you know, hundreds of engineers at Apple designing this fantastic mouse, and you know, one of the features is how great the battery is. I mean, this mouse is literally the. Stays on for six weeks. I mean, you literally never have to charge it. But the problem is, when you do have to charge it, you you they decided to put the charging plug at the bottom of the mouse. And so, I have to keep <laughs> I had to keep a USB mouse in my keyboard so that every you know four to six weeks when my mouse dies, I have to use this old HP you know wired USB mouse. <laughs> Because I can't use my Apple mouse because they decided to put the charging port at the bottom. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I really, it baffles me. Apple, of all, of all, you know, of all companies, you'd think they would have this stuff figured out and would know that you may want to, you may need to use your mouse, you know, while you're charging it. But obviously that's not the case. I just, just whew, I was so pissed the other day. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah, that charging mechanism i've never figured out i don't know who thought that was a great idea but <laughs> it's 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 what it is 
But speaking of, somehow this took me back uh, in my mind as you were explaining it. I was thinking, well, maybe the idea was when you're charging your mouse, you get up and you take a break. So uh, a few weeks ago, a few weeks ago, I was uh, talking to uh, not a developer, but someone who manages developers. And uh, she told me that developers can't work on the same code at once. And it kind of threw me for a curveball. And I'm thinking, what what exactly does she mean? And she was basically explaining that source control or any sort of collaboration is impossible in software development. Hmm. And so I'm thinking about it. I'm like, what yeah. what what's she really think happens at you know larger software development companies? Is it like Apple? You know, you have a guy sitting at a computer. He works for half an hour, gets up to take a smoke break. Someone else sits down in his chair, starts coding away. Half an hour, gets up to take a smoke break, you know, and it's just a vicious cycle. Um, it's interesting. It's it, interesting how, how people that are not developers kind of see what we do. But yeah, yeah so it's great yeah. to hear these stories. And it was something where I started explaining a little bit, <laughs> um, you know, Git, but... It just wasn't going anywhere, and and uh, yeah. Anyway, sometimes it's better just to keep your mouth shut and let people believe what they want to believe. No, I know, but you know, the the I've got another story. Actually, it's a, it's a kind of like an unrelated story, but kind of related. So, you know, for for those listening that don't really know us, you know, Yanni and I are we're marketers too. So we're we're kind of a rare breed because developers typically are these these guys that just sit in the computer and they don't talk to anybody, you know. But we actually develop products that are customer facing. And I was at the, I was at the grocery store and I think a lot of times it, it, this happens to us, you know, and it's, it's such a weird thing, but as, as marketers, sometimes we miss the mark with, with our customers. And what I mean by that was I was, I was at the grocery store and I'm, I needed some mayonnaise and I go through the aisle and all of a sudden something catches my eye and the label is branded for the store and it says real mayonnaise. And I said, wait a minute, real? I mean, I, I typically like to buy the real one. I, I don't, I wouldn't want virtual one. So, I, and so I'm sure that there's a very specific reason why they named that real. But as a customer, I have no idea what that means, you know, and it's, it's so difficult sometimes to know your product so well that you get to the point where you don't you're unable to see how the customer sees your product. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. But what I'm wondering is, was there a fake mayonnaise somewhere? But there must've been, must I missed it. I didn't, I didn't see it, you know, but it's just such, such a, such a weird place to be in when, when you, when you are the utmost, you know, know-it-all of Mayo and you're like, yeah, this one's the real one. And you label and you slap a label on it and then it goes out to your customers and they're they're all questioning why that is, you know, why why you named it that and what that even means. Yeah, I, yeah, I think Yeah, I mean I know you've had some experience with this, so go ahead, man. Tell us a little yeah, bit about this. I think that's why it's no matter what you're doing, it's so important to be in touch with your audience. Uh, whether you're marketing or whether you're writing software, uh, knowing how individuals use it. 
And um, one of my clients is actually using a piece of software. It's Windows-based from 1998. It hasn't seen any major uh, releases since 1998. Just anything you could imagine, Windows 98, yeah, it's that's what it is just uh, very (laughs) antiquated but the software was written and it's you know any department's user uh can come to the same conclusion that whoever wrote the software who developed it developed it never actually had performed the duties uh, that someone in that role would be yeah and um it just has made things very slow for them um, and very challenging. So, you know, if you're a software developer, of course you want to study how people will actually be interacting with your software. And then after something's deployed, how they're using that new feature. Um, But uh, when I had distinct, which was a company that, um, that uh, created touchscreen digital displays and, and uh, we built out the entire software stack for it. I was out there on the floor, you know, engaging with customers. And often I'd get questions, you know, to me that were, hey, you should know this. This is everywhere. But it made me think, you know what? I need to change up a little bit of how I'm presenting my information to these customers, make it a little bit easier to understand because they don't know everything I know. And uh, there's got to be a reason why they're saying real mayonnaise. And you know, I could probably ask my wife on that. Um, she is pretty particular where I can't buy even oh, like, boy. Uh, organic mayonnaise. Oh, I have boy. to stick with the one same brand. So, so oh, boy. Uh, yeah. Well, I don't know if she'll kill me that. for this, but I, I like Dukes. So maybe ask her what she thinks about Dukes mayo and, and we'll go from there. But yeah, I mean, I, I not to go back to Apple on this one, but, you know, they, they deliver all these products and, uh, you know, there's no user's manual and somehow they're able to figure out how to get their message out there. I feel like they're, they're really, really good about this. You know, they, and they've gotten to the point now where they, anything they say, obviously that the public just, it's, they believe it. You know, this is literally the best iPhone we've ever made. And then next year's this is the best iPhone we've ever made. And it's kind of expected that that's going to happen, but still people go out and buy the product and they understand it's very intuitive, you know, and they've never delivered it with a manual. There is no iPhone manual to the best of my knowledge. Yeah. That's, that's great design and great design being driven by function. It's not just a wrapper. And uh, actually I'm working on Johnny Ives biography right now. And it's, it's a great source of knowledge on, you know, how the thinking at Apple changed over, over the years, Johnny Ives was there and how, uh, Design wasn't just a wrapper for these products. It wasn't just, hey, you know, make something that engineering created, make it look good. It was actually looking at how users will interact with the product and how it should be designed and then building out the hardware to support it. Um, And I'm a big, big, big believer in functionality over form. Um, So it's a book I'm really appreciating and I highly recommend it to anyone who's a little bit, even a little bit interested in in the thought trend at yeah, Apple. If, yeah, I mean, I mean, I've actually, I'm actually working currently on a, on a project that's going to end up being for for print. So it's you know it's a very very different medium. Obviously, when you work designing something front end for a website, it's interactive and all that. Versus trying to take a lot of that information and create 
you know, created in, in print and in media. And I've, I've taken the approach of just removing everything that is not absolutely necessary, you know, and I think as, as developers, we've, we have a tendency to sort of overput things or, or, you know, overuse certain things, you know, and, and then you'll, you'll get to a, to like, sort of like the guys that are only designers and they're all about white space and, you know, what's not there versus what is there, you know, and, and a lot of times we could take that same approach with, with our code, you know, can, can you get this done in a simpler way? Or do you just have to pick this particular design pattern that is going to complicate your code tenfold, but it's like the cool pattern to use? You know, it's it follows all the solid principles and it's got all the technicalities of it that are correct. But, you know, it's when you look at it, it's just ugly. It's plain ugly. It's not very nice, you know, looking code. Yeah, no, I've... Uh... I've been extremely happy and have, uh, extremely pleased to see this sort of movement where uh, going back to the late 90s, it seemed like a great developer's product always had a horrible design and a great designer's web product had a horrible uh, you know, bug riddle functionality. You didn't have this good blend of the two. Right. And uh, guys like, Steve out there, uh, I can't even remember his last name, honestly, right now. I'm a little bit tired. Um, you know, who are teaching, you know, refactoring UI. Steve Schroeder. Uh, yeah, Schroeder. Um, you know, they're inspiring and showing developers that it's it's really not that challenging to make something look and function well. Uh, so I'm really happy to see that we're stepping away from the acceptable, hey, the functionality is great, but this just yeah. looks like it crap. works great. <laughs> it just doesn't yeah. look very pretty. Yeah. Yeah, I know. But you know, it's, it, it's, it's cool. I mean, I, so, I mean, to get back to sort of like working alone versus like working on a team, you know, I think it's a, it's, I like working, you know, sort of like in a smaller environment. Obviously Apple is just this huge thing and, and, and it's almost like you work at a, at a factory, right. And your job is to tighten this one bolt to this torque and that's all you do every day. That's all you do. So it almost feels like these projects, they, they're just, they're so huge that you get to work on like one thing, but I'm more of the guy that I like to do the front end, do the, you know, write the back end code, write the iPhone app, you know, make, make the print, you know, I like doing everything, you know, but one thing that does bug me and it has been in my mind lately is for this particular project that I'm working on, I'm having to do all these small tasks that an intern could do. But due to the fact that our company is relatively small, there is no intern for me to kind of unload this work to. And it's such no, a uh, no productive satisfaction. Yeah, it's such a frustrating place to be in when, you know, I'm sitting there for hours doing this mindless job of removing background from from images that, you know, I'm I'm, I'm just, just not great use of my time. But if you're in a small company, you got to get the job done, right? And so I think that that's first and foremost sort of the most important thing about this is if you are in a small company, even if it's not your job, but it will it will make the job happen and it will get you to the finish line, you got to do it, you know? And I see a, oftentimes it's just the, the this, this mentality that, well, that's not my job. 
um, I don't want to do it and, and it won't get done, but somebody has to do it. And so, you know, I mean, if you, if you're not that type of person where you, you know, if you're, it, it's harder to work in smaller companies, I guess is, is what I'm trying to get at. And I know you and I have done things way and above beyond what our job titles, you know, description or job description was. And I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's hard to, well, I, I would say it's impossible to teach, to teach that. You know, you can't oh. teach that, that to somebody. Oh, absolutely. Um, so I've hired guys with, you know, 15 years in the industry, solid resumes, et cetera. But when they actually get out on the job, they just can't perform. Um, you know, it's slow. It's like a union worker. And then you go, you know what? I need someone else for this role. You hire someone, you know, not even out of school yet, but they have that attitude and that drive. And, you know, they're, they're, they're literally sweating bullets, you know, just making it happen. Um, and that's, that mean, to me, that's something I value much more uh, than, you know, going back to what you were saying earlier, a degree or, or it really uh, years of experience, because that attitude is something you can't teach. We've spoken about that before. Yeah. I mean, it's that, it's that drive and you either you're born with it or, or you're not, you know, and yeah. Unfortunately, I, I haven't been able to find a way to kind of instill those values onto someone who doesn't have them. And I'm, I'm not even sure that it's possible, but it's, it, I, I'm a hundred percent with you on this. If, if you are, if you've got somebody who's willing to learn, eventually they're going to get there. You know, there's very few things that you can't, you know, get to a certain level, you know, whether it's in design or in, in web development or in anything you decide to do, you can if you stick with it, you know, you will get somewhere. And, and I see that, you know, every day with, with coders tip. And, and I think it's what keeps me so motivated um, with that. I mean, I don't have any, any particular goals with, with coders tape, you know, for now, you know, I create as much content as, as I have time for, and I answer as many questions as I have. And it's, it, it's, it's, I feel very appreciated, you know, because I see sort of the progress of, people that come to the channel not really knowing and then I see them as they grow and, and at this point it's been it's been almost a year and and I and I see them progressing through the content and and getting involved in conversations that are much higher than they would have you know six months ago and it's, it's such a gratifying thing to see that you know and it stands out right away you know who those people are yeah it's, and it's been amazing to watch coders tape grow you know definitely proud of everything you've created it's um you know really the seeing the uh subscriptions and viewers and the active comments and active discussions on on your videos you know, yeah. it's really really uh encouraging yeah I'm, I'm i'm with you i mean it's it's been a great fun uh thing and i mean obviously it's just getting started you know we'll, we'll It'll keep going. I mean, hopefully we can get Yanni to record some stuff. Yanni is the uh, what I what I value Yanni's opinion incredibly. So in a lot of in a lot of stuff, and hopefully he'll he'll start to share some of his knowledge in the channel. Absolutely, absolutely. Just need to need to make some time for it. Um, just tonight, I was I got home and decided to tackle some paint projects around the house. And oh, it was always fun. I, I, oh, it was always fun. 
Yeah, exterior paint had the oh, brush yeah. in my hand. Was oh, yeah. about halfway through uh, the mm-hmm. boards I was painting, and Florida downpour. Oh uh, yeah, oh yeah. So, <laughs> you know, if I sound a little tired, it's been a long week, and I might be a little slower than usual, but uh, yeah. that's just what it is. But uh, one thing I wanted to bounce back to was talking about kind of a Swiss army knife skill set about having different skills and how that ties to coder's tape is, or what I see that tying to coder's tape is having this guidance on, on, uh, you know, there's so much material out there to learn. And right now, if you were completely new to web development, it's hard to know even where to start. You know, do I start learning a little bit about servers and DevOps or, you know, where do I go? And with, you know, and coder's tape isn't alone, but with something like coder's tape, you're able to guide and someone new is able to have that guidance of, Hey, you know, this is related to this and this is good to know because of this. And I think that's really amazing. So, um, yeah, you know, sort of like that would be sort of like a greatly gratifying moment for me is whenever somebody comes back and tells me their story and how coder's tape maybe helped them to get out of a job and get into a, like a development role. And, you know, that, that would be such a gratifying moment for me to say, well, I know this person, they came to the channel, they learned a bunch of stuff and now they're out, you know, getting, they have a better life because of it. You know I mean? That that's sort of the success story that, that would sort of signify to me that I've kind of changed some people's lives, you know, and that's such a, that would be a really, really cool moment for me. And I, and I, I'm sure I will at some point, um, come across that, you know, which is, I'm just, I just don't know when, but I'm sure well, that's, that's, that's the thing with you. You know, I know you're a great educator, you know, great tutor. You've got this ability to teach and make things really easy. You know, there's people I still work with where everyone, you know, is wondering how Victor, you know, got them to have this tight idea on, on certain subjects. Cause no one else can seem to, you know, communicate that with them this way. And, I've asked you about these examples before. And you're like, I got out of a whiteboard and I, you know, went from the top, you know, drew it down, how, how everything works and somehow it stuck. So, yeah. So uh, I, I, I don't have the patience, you know, I'll, I'll be the guy who says, ah, screw it. <laughs> you can't, so, uh, you can't learn this. Forget it. I'm out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Not one of my strengths for sure. <laughs> But so you, uh, yeah, I mean, if we we can wrap it up and you know maybe talk about. Well, I've got I've got two yeah, more go, things I want to say, and this ahead. is we've we've talked about Apple a lot on this first episode. We did, but, we did. So I had a guy apply. I've been looking for a Laravel developer down here in South Florida, and I had a guy apply this week. And as I'm looking through his blog and looking at his articles, what caught my attention was this Photoshop picture of a just a desk setup. Dual uh-huh. screens, dual monitors, okay, and then a new Mac Pro photoshopped in. Wait, the one that hasn't it, come out yet? The one unreleased new <laughs> Mac Pro photoshopped in. Oh, that's great. And there was no description for it. It was just in one of his uh, technical articles. And I'm like, what? Awkward. So, <laughs> I'm almost debating if I should bring him in for an interview and just ask about that. Um, it is through a recruiter. 
you know, I don't want to waste anyone's time, but I'm just blown away. You know, how's that just sneak in there? Oh boy. Uh, I'm curious fake about, it, you know, fake it till you make it? Fake, thought it till you, fake it till you make it approach. Maybe, maybe, maybe. And then one more Apple thing. So, okay. I bought a new uh, 13 inch uh, MacBook Pro, one of the new base model touch bar ones with the quad core 1.4 gigahertz uh, setup. It's replacing my uh, mid 2014 uh, 15 inch Retina MacBook Pro. And um, I'm going to give that machine away. But uh, first, I wanted to tackle the trackpad on it that's uh, been bugging me. Okay. So, uh, I was going to, I ordered the part, I was going to do it myself, you know, torn apart plenty of Mac. MacBook Pros and right. uh, PowerBooks, etc. But when I flipped it over, pulled the bottom case off, I went to take out the batteries. I'm like, wait a second, they're glued in. <gasps> and having seen the videos and having you know had one at um, another company I've been involved with, having one actually expand, you know, oh, and push boy. the case open. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't want to take off. any yeah. any chances of puncturing the battery. Oh, so man. I said, you know what? Let's let's you know someone who's got some experience do this and saw that there was just down the street, one of these um, shops, not an Apple Apple store, but someone uh, specializing in Apple repairs. And took it there, you know, they gave me a fair price and I asked, what's it gonna be a couple of days? I said confidently, no, shouldn't even be, you know, maybe a day. We're coming up on two weeks. Oh boy. Yeah, and uh, so they excuses, the excuses. I have no idea. <laughs> oh, I don't man. know if I'll ever see my my uh, oh, no. fifteen incher again. <laughs> but you know, uh, I you know, I've never owned. Fun fact: I've literally never owned a PC in my life. I've only ever worked with Mac, and you know, even when Macs weren't cool, because nowadays you own a Mac and people think you're cool, right? It's it's got this cool factor to it, but. 20 years ago, it wasn't the case. You know, nobody, they were super expensive and they were really thought to be for professionals. But, you know, I came from an art background. You know, my, my dad is a musician and he always had Macs. So I was always around Macs. And whenever he, your dad had a next, he did. My dad did have a next in Cuba. My dad had the only, only, the only only next. next in existence in Cuba. And so, you know, my dad's always been super techie. So he always had stuff. And when he would get a new Mac, his old Mac would become my Mac. And, you know, it's always been this thing of like Macs, like you don't, you know, people would talk about upgrading their PCs and adding lights and all this cool stuff to the hardware. And, you know, us Macs guys, like, you know, we've never done that. You know, we don't know what that's like, you know, and taking it to a repair shop or no, well, you you can upgrade the RAM, you know, up until actually up until recently, you you could barely do anything to a to a Mac. You know, there was you couldn't do anything, literally couldn't do anything to it. You really didn't need to. Yeah. And so this is long before, you know, I long before you ever walked in for that interview with the Mohawk. Oh, boy. Uh, is that coming up already? We'll talk about that next episode. So, <laughs> OK. So, uh. I had been working with Max, you know, since I was way young, but never had the money to buy one. And uh, then I was in high school, you know, I was managing the Mac labs we had. And I said, you know, I'm saving up. I'm going to buy an iBook. And uh, I even at the time, I figured, you know, I'm still going to keep modding my PCs and do everything I was doing. And the day I bought my iBook, my new graphics card that I had been also dying for came from my PC. 
I actually physically installed it, but aside from transferring some files over to the iBook, I never used my PC again. Oh man. I mean, it just sat, went to waste. Years later, I took a sledgehammer to the hard drive and just tossed it. But I use that as, as an example going forward on how much, and this was back in way early 2000s, just how much more, and I don't want to use the word pleasurable, but how much more convenient and is like a, a breath of fresh air. Yeah, polished. Uh, where, it's that, it's that yeah, polished it's, feel that they, the, the product Everything has. made sense. Yeah. It, and nowadays, you know, it's like, you ever go into a grocery store where everything just feels like it's intentionally uh, unorganized or organized in a manner that doesn't make sense? Right. Like yeah, it, have, it's, like, it's almost like they're trying to catch your attention because it's so out of place. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I feel so, you. So for me, the world of Max has been the exact opposite. Everything just feels well laid out. Things make sense. And I don't have to put that extra energy and willpower into figuring things out i could just concentrate on my work so yeah that's the that's the goal as a developer i mean i think we can wrap everything up into you know this whole conversation would be develop the product that you wish you had or that you are you would be willing to use every day you know and if you if you kind of develop with that mentality i mean and but but you really only have that you know, if you are working on this project and you really feel connected to this project, you know, you hire these, um, you know, developers and they're working on 25 different projects at the same time, you're just not going to get that type of commitment, you know? And, and it of course depends on what type of company you're hiring as well, but it's always difficult to find talent and even more so whenever, you know, the project is maybe not as exciting or they're not excited about the product or they don't know the product. There's like a whole learning curve there. And I just don't think a bad WordPress developer will, uh, you know, in a short period of time, be a great Laravel developer. So, so uh, yeah, yeah, stay yeah. away from those bad WordPress developers. <laughs> duct, duct tape everything together. Duct tape. I know, I know. But, you know, WordPress does power like 80% of the internet, which is mind baffling for me. When you look at the statistics of how many sites actually run on WordPress, it's it's an astonishing amount of sites just crazy mm-hmm. it's beyond speaking me. of duct tape yeah yeah the whole internet's duct taped together so we can resume yeah. from that <laughs> yep yep all right all right man so well, i think been... that wraps wraps yeah, everything up fun. it's been a yeah been a good episode yeah. and i'll catch you next week yep sounds good see ya all right